Hello, everybody. Thanks again for joining another episode of the Tribe Exchange. Uh, we're so excited today to have on the show Sajan Sharma. Uh, with almost 24 years in the full-time ministry, Sajan and his wife, Lisa, have served in churches in Boston, uh, New Delhi, Albania, Bulgaria. Uh, Sajan is currently serving in Western Massachusetts at the Pioneer Valley Church as the uh, elder and evangelist. Uh, he's been there for the last nine years. Uh, that's where I got to know him. So I, well, I'm from Western Massachusetts originally, so I got a chance to to meet Sajan years back. I've just always been really impressed with him and uh, been able to keep up with him, and we're excited to be able to have a conversation with him today. Sajan has a, also a master's in social work and uh, has opened up a private clinic. Uh, he he co-founded uh, a private clinic called Cross Point Clinical Services, where they implement theology and uh, and good just practical clinical practices for uh, their clients. So we're really excited to have Sajan on the show and to unpack some ideas uh, with him today. Sajan, welcome, my friend. Good to see you. Hey, Elias. Yeah. So um, we're going to talk about a lot of things um, that I feel like you're, you've got a great market in a corner in the market on in terms of uh, mental health and and theology and some of the intersection there but love to just start off with maybe you could unpack for us how you became a follower of Jesus and some of your spiritual journey and how this whole thing started for you sure sure um, so I was born in India and my father and uh, the family came over to the in, to the states in about 1975. Uh, I was about three years old, three and a half years old at that time, and um, it was pretty awesome. Um, we came in, we didn't know anything, and uh, having an immigrant perspective uh, really helped me. My father at the same time uh, is a research biochemist, and so much of my time was spent in the laboratory with my dad. Uh, they didn't have daycare, so I just I just chilled with him. I'd measure stuff. I'd I'd uh, watch him do stuff, and so really grew to love science. Um, as I continued to grow up, uh, my love for science only increased. My love for truth became paramount, and uh, I was I was looking for it. I became an atheist um, late high school, early college. Um, and I, I wasn't just an atheist. I was an evangelical atheist. I was evangelized. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I was anybody who had faith. I want to go sit down with and have a conversation with. Oh, because yeah. uh, to me, it wasn't just uh, a thing to say. I really believed it. Yeah. But as I started to grow in my knowledge of science, I went to uh, Purdue University in electrical engineering. And as I, as I started to grow in my understanding of science, I found major gaps in it and and learned that science was uh, was limited and that there were other ways to see truth and other ways to state truth. And so philosophy and theology became a really big part of my life. And uh, I started to seek uh, seek truth. And a lot of my friends were Christians and I tended to stay away from Christians, uh, from people uh, of faith, of uh, Christian faith. I just stayed away from them because I saw the way they lived their life. And then I saw the way that they would say uh, their, their, their stuff about their faith and didn't have a lot of respect. It just seemed hypocritical in my yeah. mind. And so yeah. I stayed away from it. But my journey involved getting, um, getting with the experts. So when I studied out Judaism, I would get with, 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 uh, with a priest. When I studied out Islam, I would get with an Amman and I would yeah. enter the, and I would for six months dedicate 
not just seeking what they were saying the truth was, but how they were living it. Yeah. So I went through these different religions and finally came to Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I got to tell you, when I started reading the Bible, and that's when I started to delve in, it was like, it was magic. Yeah. It was the words of Christ just hit my heart as truth. Yeah. And and then I decided somebody gave me a challenge, just live them for two weeks and see what happens to your life. And it wasn't just moral living. I wanted to live them because he said for me to live them. Uh, right. The Bible said for me to live them. And so I did. And I was like, wow. At the same time, I graduated from Purdue and moved to Massachusetts. Um, I was working at MIT University and uh, some people reached out and studied the Bible. And I, I made a major decision to become a, a, a follower of Christ uh, back in 1993. Um, and since then, I haven't turned back. I've been able to be a missionary. Uh, I've been to India, to Albania, uh, to Bulgaria. Uh, it's just been it's been amazing. Uh, been in the ministry since 1994, uh, went back and got my uh, degree in, in clinical social work at, from Boston College in 2003, graduated in 2006, and then went back into the ministry um, working for Wyndham Shaw. I just kind of, I had three jobs at the time, but I worked for Wyndham and <laughs> ministry was what I was passionate about. Yeah. And uh, Wyndham would just send me to the hard cases or the hard situations in the ministry. And I would just go deal with them. I didn't run one particular ministry, uh, but I did that. And um, that was a lot of fun. Then an opportunity opened up out here in Western Massachusetts. And um, I've just felt a calling to this church. And uh, we, we came and we interviewed my wife and myself and Oh, it's been amazing. Uh, we've just loved being part of the Pioneer Valley Church of Christ here. Uh, yeah. It's just been really special. Then at the same time, I had all of these clinical skills and I had all of this, all of this theology uh, that was running around in my head and they started to mix right. in a glorious way, in a yeah. really amazing way. And what I've learned about the clinical world is that the clinical world is really good, Elias, at telling you what's wrong with you. <laughs> it's a lot like the world itself. <laughs> really good at diagnosis. And yeah. I'm not saying it's bad sure. at the other stuff, but it excels at diagnosis. Yeah. And, and, and what I learned is that a lot of, the, a lot of the, uh, the systems we had in place to deal with the diagnoses extended to extended into the realm of increasing in functioning a lot like the medical model the medical right. model is you know you you've got a cut we need to we need to get that better um and so they, they, we work off of that paradigm we don't necessarily go to the heart of the issues that perhaps we deal with at a mental health level uh, we right. increase functioning and that was frustrating for me as i would work with people i would use these amazing clinical models they would give me incredible diagnoses but the healing process involved something much more right much more than just cognitive restructuring or something down that line, which would, of course, increase functioning and in some places really bring healing. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying it didn't to the rate that I would have would have liked. And so I, I threw in I threw in some uh, I, I threw in theology. And that's where that's where things really began to take off. Yeah, I love it. Well, you know, 
I love your story, first of all. Thanks for sharing that. What a cool way to grow up as a kid in a research, you know, science building or whatever that looked like in the lab, you know, with your, was I was awesome. like, I was in the backyard, like playing with sticks, you know, and you're in the lab measuring, measuring stuff. Pretty cool. Um, but, uh, I, I love just, uh, I love that, that journey and how it, you know, one of the things I appreciate about you is just your enthusiasm, right? Like, uh, and, and how you've gone after those, those different, uh, data points along the journey and how you've pivoted with them and, and grown with them. And, uh, even just like the, the, willingness to take six months at a time to kind of study and walk with these different, you know, religions and philosophies and really invest. Um, that's just cool. That's not a, that's not an investment that, uh, that I certainly didn't, I'd like to say I explored a lot of things before becoming a follower of Jesus, which I did, but certainly not to that, uh, to that level. So appreciate that. You know, I, you had mentioned kind of the, the intersection of, of theology and uh, and your clinical work and kind of going okay there's a there's a more robust way here there's something more holistic that we can offer people and um, maybe you could unpack that a little bit for us what is that like what were some of the things as you went okay I, I can get somebody functional again right I can get them for your you know to your analogy I can get them up and walking and out of the hospital again but when they leave those doors here's what they're missing or here's what they need next. What were some of those things that you started to go, okay, I want to bridge that gap. Yeah. A lot of it involved uh, in, in the clinical world, these, these, these walls or ceilings we would hit and, and they were, they were, perhaps environmentally created situations which were insurmountable. There were no practical solutions around it and, and involved, you know, inner trauma that was occurring at the same time. And the management of all of that required something, something, something else. And what I learned as I became a, a follower of Christ and as I dug into the scriptures is that something else really was addressed by by Jesus within scripture and i learned that when you when when these when these and we can call them spiritual disciplines are incorporated yeah. they're not just things we do but they're things that are part of our life that help us tools that we have to help manage not at a cognitive level not necessarily even at a physical level but at a at a spiritual level cuz we are spiritual beings and that's where the replenishment happens so the the, the idea of prayer not soliciting uh, things from uh, from a higher higher being, but the concept of prayer, which is walking with someone of 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 you know of great presence, right. walking with Jesus, walking with God, and and being in His presence. There's something very soothing and calming about that. It takes us to this place, this space that's that's powerful. Um, fasting. You know, fasting is this discipline that exists and, and fasting takes us where we go beyond our bodies and really start to dig deep, deeper than we naturally would. And, and we begin to address problems in ways we would not have in other, in, in other arenas. And so just so powerful. Right. And, and that's, that's where I found Christ, where he says, you know, I will give you life to the full. You live life yeah. to the full. And, and when I see that, I, I begin to understand more of what he's talking about. Yeah, it's and, almost and, like it, it was beyond just just theology. It was beyond just you know, uh, 
it was a, it was a lifestyle, a way of hum, of experiencing humanity, right? In, in both his explicit teachings, but also in just his lifestyle, the way he did things and uh, things that he didn't he didn't like command or teach explicitly, but we we witness him doing these things in the gospels, and um, you know they they sounds like those are some of the things even that that you go, man, that's there's something about uh, a flourishing life, a life to the full that happens when these things are practiced, right? I wonder that's too, exactly you know, right. what was the place of community for you? Or what is, maybe how, how have you learned about the role of community in helping people recover? Because, um, you, you know, you can get all the analysis and the diagnosis and great information, but then if you walk out of the office and you've got, you're just by yourself again, you're kind of back into the, the individualist, you know, um, autonomous world that we live in. You just go back to work and back to Netflix and back to the, you know, you're just kind of into the the loop of, of, of isolation again in some ways. Like I'm sure there that, that analysis and that diagnosis, as great as it was, it's going to be, it's not going to have the same effect, right? So maybe you could unpack that even. Like what's what role do you see community playing in people's overall recovery and, and wellness? So communities are community is so powerful. It's so powerful. And and it really goes back to a very basic theology that I think exists within within uh, the, the Christian realm. As you look through scripture, one of the things you have to ask, and this was the, my, my big question as I was growing up an atheist, why? Why would God create us? Right. Why would he want us? And and the answer to that scripturally is not for us to be little little servants or little peons on the planet earth to do his bidding because that's kind of where i came from like that we were to serve him he was he was the he was the big guy we were the little guys we did what he told us when i when i look deeply into into christian theology within scripture what i learned is god wants to be with us and that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. I mean, the fact that God wants to walk with us, there is a power to that that is so very important. I saw I, 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 I saw this picture. I saw this picture, and it was of a president. And he was at his desk. And the, the picture showed there were two of them. There was one picture from looking at the president and there were all these powerful men in the world and they had to fly to Washington, D.C. They had to get an appointment to go into the Oval Office and then they had a certain amount of time there. And so they got to be there. And then what they did is they took another picture from behind the desk and from behind the desk, the president's son was playing underneath the desk with his blocks <laughs> and toys. <awesome. laughs> and I thought to myself, that's what God wants. That's what, there's no appointment necessary. There's right. no, I mean, you are in his presence and you are safe. You are comfortable. Everything else may have to approach God in a particular way, but we can sit at his feet and know we are utterly safe with him. This this is what this is what we were created for, to be in his presence, to be in community with him. At the same time, he created us uh, to be communal creatures with one another. 
And, and so we, we commune with him, absolutely. But we also commune with one another. Outside of the United States, or outside of maybe Western civilization, uh, right. where individualism is, you know, it's really it's really propped up and esteemed as the highest quality to obtain. Most nations have communal uh, uh, components to them, villages where the survival of an individual depended upon the rest of the community. And I, right. I think that's true. I think it's just essentially true. We need one another. We can bring healing to one another. Just somebody listening to another person's pain brings about a catharsis that right. could not have happened in any other way. Yeah, it makes really you kind of what makes me wonder. Like, I wonder if there's a, and, and I think there are studies out there, right, that have shown some of the correlation between our, as we've increased in in individualism and autonomy, um, as that is, as you know, our life has become more and more user friendly, uh, and, and in kind of the individualist approach, um, that there's been a uh, a correlating, you know, decline in empathy, in compassion, in a feeling of connectedness, and uh, and I imagine that that has an impact on our mental health and our emotional health and how we're doing overall as humans, right? And so there's an increase in anxiety and all these other things that we're we're starting to feel are just so much more commonplace um, than maybe they were a hundred years ago or um, you know maybe even fifty years ago, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think the pandemic is a great demonstration of. Yeah of this, uh, of the effects of it. Um, we, we were able to see. So the pandemic has been unique because we spend a lot of time with a few people, right? And very little time with many people. And, it, and it's created a myopic uh, perspective of, of community that I'm not so sure has been healthy for us. Yeah. Um, at, at the practice at Crosspoint, we have seen we have seen anxiety go up. We have seen depression go up. We have seen such intense uh, mental health issues really come to the to, to the forefront. Relational components between those individuals who are spending a lot of time together. There's there's some severe relational issues that are happening. Right. And and we've got to we've got to we've got to engage with it and clean up uh, some of those some of those challenges that are in the hearts of people. Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, even like early on in the pandemic, or not early on, but maybe a couple months in. I guess that's early on, right? <laughs> was, uh, insurance companies just started offering, you know, they're waiving all fees for, for counseling uh, for people. So if you had insurance, uh, which I took advantage of last year, I went to a counselor for about, I met with a counselor for probably about six months and totally pro bono because of the pandemic. So there's almost like a, there was a cost benefit, you know, for the insurance companies. They go, man, it's just better for us to, to get people help because it's going to cost us more if they don't get the help. Right. Um, yeah. Because of, of what you're talking about, that isolation that came from, from that. So we just don't do well when we're, we're socially isolated as, as humans. Yeah. Right. That's true. It's true. Now there's exceptions. There's people who are true introverts that, that, that gain energy, you know, from inside. And, and you see this in the life of Christ. There sure. were times where he was fully in community right. and there were times where he was isolated. So there right. is a strength to that, but we esteem it so much that we minimize the communal 
uh, I think payback. Uh, yeah, man. The, wa- the Wild West. We all we're all Lone Rangers out there, man. We're just yep. we're going for it. Yeah, it's it's uh, true. We we esteem the 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 lo- the pioneer, right? The guy who cuts out on his own and just makes it happen. And and there's a there's a right place for that um, in many ways. But I love that uh, that Jesus was that, and he and he there was kind of a. Uh, he would engage as the as the guy as the pioneer, but he would retreat to community. Right? We see him. Yeah. Somebody once said, "You you see Jesus most often in the Gospels going to a meal at a meal or coming from a meal with other people, like just spending time <laughs> with people in, in community." Right? Like just that was how he did life. Um, and then he would be the guy who had to take the front, and nobody else was with him, and he was he was going to lead the charge at the you know at a different time, but. But he got strength in both, uh, in both ways, and uh, I love that. So, um, yeah. one of the things I, I wanted to talk about, and, and it relates to what we're talking about, is is this idea of burnout, right? And um, we, you know, burnout. I looked it up a little bit, just kind of where where does this definition come from? Because it feels so common now, right? It's like everybody's talking about burnout, um, and it actually was something that uh, a psychologist uh, he coined in, uh, I think the seventies. So it's only our language of this idea of burnout is really pretty young. It's, you know, 50 years old or something. Um, but, but we all kind of have a sense of, uh, burnout, what that means. And, uh, and, and we experience it in different ways. And maybe even the pandemic has brought it out a little bit more for people, uh, than in the past. But, uh, I know that's one of the things that your clinic does is you're working with specifically, you know, pastors at times who are experiencing uh, burnout and um, uh, and there's a unique uh, pressure and, and things that come from from that that line of work. But burnout can be experienced in all lines of work, including stay at home moms who aren't necessarily being paid for their work, but they're still experiencing these things. And. Um, yeah. so we'd love to talk to you a little bit about that too. Okay. And maybe, so maybe we could just start with how do you, how do you define burnout? Like what, what is burnout? What is this thing? Yeah. Yeah. And so we should define it properly. Yeah, please. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there. there there's zoom burnout. There's, you know, there's a lot of, right. a lot of stuff out there and, and they all kind of had a, have a shade of the original intent, but right. perhaps missed the heart of it. So I, I, I got the definition for us. It's in right. um, the international classification of diseases, the 11th version of it used by the world health organization. Um, and they define it as a syndrome conceptualized as a result from chronic as a result from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed hmm. they would also highlight that this is not a medical condition rather it's an occupational phenomenon and so hmm. the 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 world health organization when they speak to it uh, they see it as a real challenge for people who are in workplaces. And and so I have my thoughts on burnout in general. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd love to share them uh, yeah, from, please. from but, particular but, viewpoint. So then to be clear, it's really connected to our our relationship with work. Is that, Absolutely. Is that right? Absolutely. The occupational um, burnout. Okay, good. Yeah, please, please go on. That's That's great. Yeah. And so, you know, I have I have two perspectives that I try to mingle together in this. One's the one's the mental health biological component, one's the theological. And and so on the on the on 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 the more clinical side, what I what I've learned is that our body traps stress. 
mm-hmm. and it traps trauma. It traps it somewhere within our body. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, 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 it captures it. We're, we're, go- we're good at doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when a trauma occurs, we will, we will take it on almost literally physically. That's why things like, that's why things like working out, running, these, these are of such benefit in the management right. of stress. Right. But there's also relational trauma. Right. So much of our trauma can be relational. It can be rejection. It can be uh, initiation of shame. It can be these these little these little issues that occur all over the place that perhaps we don't even know have occurred, Mm. but they keep happening. So there was a study that was done by by Candace Pickett. Um, and, and she talked about ministers and how, uh, how they're burning out. And what, one of the things that she says is that there is a capacity that the human being has for social relationships. And that capacity runs at about 150. We can handle about 150 <laughs> relationships superficially. Yeah. I think that's high. Yeah, that feels high. That feels high. <laughs> that's, what, that's what she says. She's quoting Dunbar from 1993 when she right. says it. But, right. you know, I... I that's what she says. That's what yeah. the study says. And what, what, what we learn is that when, when we have relational ministers who have tons of different relationships that are coming into their world, sure. then when they, when they surpass that threshold, that we begin to, we begin to feel the effects of it. And, and so now if we're taking on trauma, if we're, in, in, you know, taking on and it would be called vicarious trauma. So that means we are taking on someone else's trauma. So when we sit with someone who has suffered loss, there is a certain trauma that we experience. So mm-hmm. helpers experience that trauma and then we internalize it. When right. we do that enough times, uh, according to the study, there's a threshold and that threshold will... <laughs> We'll put the brakes on our system. Uh, we'll it's a put physical the threshold, right? Like you, you, there's a physical manifestation that comes out, right? Absolutely. And there's three ways that we can see it within people. These are yeah. three ways you can see burnout happening. So the first, uh, the first of which is just fatigue. The, the right. sense of energy depletion, like you're just never energized. You get up and you've, you, you just slept eight hours, but you feel like, you didn't sleep at all. This, yeah. this fatigue, and it's not a physical f- fatigue like you just ran the marathon. It's deeper. Yeah. It's just deeper. I think that's the first, you know, that's the first sign. That's the first telltale sign uh, for it. The second one would be um, increasing your distance from your job. You know, when you start a job, you're all in, you're jumping in, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're getting here. Or, you know, you, you, when you start to burn out, you're like, you're, you're sneaking boundaries. in late and you're sneaking out early. You're trying to. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Five o'clock is becoming 430. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. All of those types of things are starting to happen. That's indicative. That's yeah. indicative of, of burnout. It's also indicative of other things, mind sure. you, but it's also <laughs> indicative of burnout. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing is just reduced professional efficacy hmm. where you're just not you're just not as good as you were before. Right. And a lot of people go, why when you're you're 50? I remember when you were a minister when you were 30, you were on fire. You were right. like, and you're like, well, you've, you know, you're a little longer in the tooth. You've, you've seen more things. Sure. You've taken on more, more vicarious trauma. 
Yeah. And, and it has its effects on you. It really does. And so we see this over and over. I see this with ministers over and over. And, and Elias, the sneakiest part of this is you don't know it's happening. You know, it's like watching grass grow. You sit there, you stare, nothing's happening right. in, in that few minutes. But if you go away for a week and come back, the grass is all up to here. So it's, and, the, uh, it's, the, it's over the long arch, right? So it's maybe over the months and the years that you start to pick this up, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so beyond like, okay, so there's, you're, you're tired, right? It's not a, it's not a physical fatigue. Like you said, it's just a, there's a fatigue, you know, you're, you're, you're separating yourself from your work. These, these indicators are coming on. What are those then, like, if that's, you know, if you're running in that, what does that then produce? What are the, the, the byproducts of those symptoms? You know what I mean? Like, what, what comes from that? Because I imagine there's, beyond those kind of capital three, there, there, there must be more symptoms that then begin to compound even when those are, are present, if you keep going, right? Absolutely. You, so, so what else happens typically for people? Uh, relational issues, um, especially for ministry staff, people people in deep in community, there is there are relational issues, um, and so short short tempers, um, uh, marital issues can occur. Um, uh, uh, those are those are I think often the first indicators that there is this happening. The second can be um, the creation of new fiefdoms or kingdoms, you know, the, the need. To, so when, when you have, when you're increasing your distance from your job, you want to, you want to go create something else. And so you can do that. And I know many, many, many ministers can do that via video games, um, via, uh, via other like types a hobby. of addiction. Yeah. Okay. But it might be a hobby yeah. or something, right? It's like, you, you're not feeling like the efficacy, the success in your job. And so you go, man, I, I got to, I got to get that, that need fit, you know, that fix somewhere of I'm effective, I'm producing, I'm winning, right? It's the video game or whatever, but, but something exactly. is, is, is winning, you know, in my life. Exactly. And then I think, you know, when there's reduced professional efficacy, Elias, what we see is shame. Hmm. We don't want to let people down. We don't want right. to let God down. And, and shame is such a deep trigger because it's not just that you've done something bad. It's that you are bad. Right. And, and many people will go, go to some really dark places to bet, best manage that shame. Mm -hmm. uh, shame, you know, we see with Adam and Eve, they hid, they hide. Right. Um, we will go and hide and we will start to deal with it. And so we'll see people with burnout have have pornographic addiction, will have alcohol addiction, the, the, all of these different, you know, uh, pieces start to enter their lives. Right. Um, and and cleaning, cleaning that up, getting that requires a real intention uh, by both the individual and by those that are helping the individual. Yeah. And, and I know you guys, you guys work a lot with people that are in the pastoral realm, right? Whatever that looks like for their vocation. Um, but, but I imagine these indicators are the same for the guy on the sales team or the, the entrepreneur or the real estate agent or, you know, the, those indicators are pretty uniform across industries, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially the, the ones where it's uh, human centered, where you're re relating at a human that level. Care, that care <laughs> aspect of your job. 
Got it. Yeah, you're, you're taking on other people's challenges and traumas, and and maybe some of the stuff they're feeling. So let me ask you this: Do do you, then it you know is burnout something that you see happening for like a stay-at-home mom? You know, where your your job is caring for your household and your kids, and your you know there's a there's a real work to this, right? I mean, do, does that does that happen even in non-paid? Uh, realms as well. Yeah, and and this really goes back to uh, it has to go to our definition of work. Work isn't just what we get compensated for, right. though much of our identity can be that. Yeah. Work is something that we do, and right. and so we it, it, being a parent. Uh, listen, <laughs> being a stay-at-home mom is oh, st- being a stay-at-home parent. Yeah, mom or dad. Of, right, that's right. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things to do because you are you are balancing the the soul keeping the physical keeping of these individuals while at the same time trying to manage the household around it the finances the food all of that it's a lot of work and so can there be can there be burnout from that i'll say this there can be absolutely (laughs) but there is also a payback that can happen from there because there's such a deep connection with the children um that's that it can be so very strong but obviously there can be times where i think every parent should take a little time out go go away for a date or two or a couple of days and make sure the kids are safe and and get that so they they can come back and be the best parents that they can be absolutely Yeah, great. Um, why do you think? Because again, you know, this is a this is a term we started to see come up. Whatever, you know, late twentieth century, it started to pop up more and more, and and now it's just every like you said, there's Zoom burnout, and there's spiritual burnout, and there's work burnout, and the, you know everybody's burned out for something. But why? Why do you think even with this more clear kind of vocational uh, correspondence, this occupational burnout? Um, why do you think there's been a an increase or is there an increase is in, are we just labeling something that's always been or has there been an increase maybe even in our kind of western civilization of this occupational burnout so i couldn't tell you if there's been an increase from any sort of statistical uh, yeah, uh grounding yeah. i've not done the research for that i can tell you anecdotally i yeah. feel like there's been an increase and i would attribute the increase to the increase of information that the, that the average human being can now obtain. Hmm. You know, we in the past would, <laughs> right. we see the news from 5.30 to 6.30. I remember those days. We'd or even before that, before the news, it was like you heard about it when somebody came into town, like, hey, you know, yeah. Bob from the town over died and his barn burned down. And you're like, oh, wow, That's I didn't right. know that. You know what I mean? Like That's that took right. a month to get to me, you know, that information. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And and if 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 burnout is the involvement of in, of managing stress, so we're, we're, the the definition by 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 the World Health Organization specifically pertains to work stress. But stress is stress. Right. <laughs> so you have stress over here, and you have stress over there, and then when you go to work, what may not have caused you stress is starting to you know add to it. I don't know. I could see a lot. So of, there's an information, there's just a, an overconsumption of information and, and information. I think for us as humans, like it, it begs action. It begs response, right? Like, 
you, you find out something and you want to have a response to it. You want to do something. But if you can't, if it's something that's happening on the other side of the world or it's something that's happening virtually or it's something that's happening, you know, that isn't really contained in your sphere of ability to take action, um, I think that can become kind of subconsciously uh, a stressor, right? Like you're just, you, you start to get it, uh, uh, there's an inadequacy that can kind of build into that. Like I have all this information and very little action that I take on all this information where kind of to your point back in the day, it's like, you know, um, Bob's barn burned down. Like, hey, let's go help Bob burn, build a new barn. Like we can take action yeah. there. You know what I mean? There's something we can go do. Um, I can't, I, you know, I hear about the, the Israel and Hamas conflict, and I feel very inadequate about taking any kind of action there. And that's one little slice of a million huge pieces of information that I get all day long, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the term is vulnerability. You feel vulnerable because yeah. you, you, are, you are made more aware of all of these, uh, all of these threats yeah. that are around you. Yeah. And you're unable to really defend or protect yourself from them. Right. And, and you kind of just need to bury your head and move on. But how well do you bury your head? You know, like How well can you just uh, pretend it didn't, wasn't there or you hadn't heard it? Right. Okay. So let me ask you this. So we're, we're, we're experiencing burnout. You're kind of getting aware. Maybe somebody, you know, and your colleague or your friend or they go, hey, you, you seem like you might be burnt out. Um, what do we do with that information? Okay, so we, we recognize, maybe, maybe we don't even recognize it yet, but we're, we're willing to investigate a little bit. Maybe I am burnt out. Um, what do we do once we start to see these indicators, we become aware of this idea of burnout in our lives? What are some, do we just quit the job? Do we just, like, what? <laughs> do we just, do we take a month in vacation and just, you know, pivot careers and, I, I don't know, become a day trader or something like that? Or what, like, what do sure. we do with our, our burnout? Sure. You know, Elias, when I started to share with you my my theory on burnout, there was the physical component, that clinical component, which we just talked about, taking yeah. on trauma, uh, just the level of exposure we can have relationally, that type of thing. But there is also a theological component. And I feel the need to say it because yeah. the solution lies within that. Right. So uh, when when God made man, the first thing he gave humanity was a job. Go and name the creatures. You know, that's the first thing he gave man. He gave Adam. And, and when, when man fell, what did he curse man with? He right. cursed him with his job. Yeah, you know, exactly. he cursed the soil, that the soil would work against him. And, and that it would not be easy. And I think what humanity has done since the leaving of Eden is it has, it has walked a very fine line between creating its identity in its work Mm -hmm. And with God, yeah, like it's always it's always fought for that, right? And when we create our identity with our job, what begins to happen, Elias, is when our job fails, which it inevitably will, or when it stops being as satisfying, which it, it inevitably will, we start to feel like because it's become an idol, it's right. taken the place of God. Yeah, we feel really we feel all sorts of ways and we attempt to create a new one and a new one and a new one and so theologically we could say that's a little bit of what's happening so okay so what's the solution well let's address the physical component first okay with that we'll put a pin on that and come back to that here in a second um the physical component a lot of people uh, believe that you know vacation will do it 
Right. And yet they come back from their vacations more stressed than ever because yes. vacations can yes. be stressful. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> um, that's right. And, and I think it's important to understand a vacation which happens, you know, maybe for one week, which involves its own stressors is not is not enough time to eliminate the the aggregate right. of the of the of what they have taken on the rest of the year. Yeah. And and so you have to create what I think are daily disciplines within within your life to best manage these things. And so some of those daily disciplines can be working out. Some of these daily disciplines can be uh, a walk, a, a, you know, a nice walk. Um, it, it just creating these disciplines, because what we do know is the trauma we take on can be removed when we exercise them, when we right. exercise simple walk will go a long way. A simple walk in the woods will go a long way to just uh, taking that stress out of your body. Right. It's that, it's that, that uh, axiom of your, your system is perfectly set up to produce the results you're getting, right? And so I think what you're saying is you have to put in new inputs, right? You have to create new rhythms, new practices to give a different outcome over the, over the, the long haul over the course of just because you're not going to be on vacation every week or every quarter or whatever. So you have to create these rhythms uh, that that produce uh, the good in your, you know, the good physical manifestations, good uh, mental and emotional manifestations of connection and all that. But but it becomes a, it's more about the habitual practices, the smaller practices almost rather than the big practice of a three-week yeah. vacation every year, right? It's it's yeah. the day in and day out practices. That's exactly right. Okay. And and creating creating these things will be is super important. I I find when I work with an individual, if I can get them, and this leads me to the second thing that I think is really helpful for burnout. If I can get them to go to sleep at a certain time yeah. and wake up at Gosh, a certain man. time, it's like so much about sleep. Everybody's like, man, sleep is so critical. <laughs> Well, sleep is where your brain best manages yeah. the trash of the day. I yeah. mean, it processes it. It We're made to deal with this stuff. We just don't give ourselves enough of it. Yeah. Well, I think that even takes us back to the information age, right? Like, because we, we go to bed with our phones and we're like consuming the last bit of information right up until we hit the pillow, right? And then we wake up with the information like right back there. And so there's, there's a really unhealthy relationship with technology and information for many of us that I think affects our sleep as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being aware of that is, is so very important. Like so maybe some of those little practices are even like, Hey, sleep with your phone outside of your bedroom or, you know, like that's a, that's a, a regular rhythm, a practice that you could, you could small impl implementation, but it has a, a big outcome, uh, a change in the outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. $15 is the best investment in an alarm clock. You don't need your phone. Just to go be analog, baby. Go back. <laughs> That's great. That's very good. I found if we can, if we can place these things into our lives, mm -hmm. we, we start to deal with what our body is taking on. Yeah. And, and really just, just being a little bit healthy. Now I'm going to say something that's uh, that everyone hears, but very few of us are able to follow. And that's a simple, let's just cleaning up your diet a little. Right. Um, if you think about it, what you eat is the biggest drug you take. It affects sure. your entire body. Yeah. And 
Just clean it up a little. It doesn't mean you can't have a Big Mac. Get the Big Mac. Just don't have three in a week. You know, (laughs) relax. (laughs) Make sure you add a salad somewhere in there. You don't have to go crazy. Uh, We just want to, we want to, we want to better uh, that particular component too. And, and that, that helps tremendously as well. Yeah. Okay. So those are the physical ones. Then you said there were some, some kind of spiritual components to how do we deal with burnout? What, what were some of those? Yeah. And so if you think about what, what I think is happening, we, we get to a space where we are lifting up this idea of work, we're replacing our identity in it. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain goodness to that. You know, I, we should, it, it talks about it in Ecclesiastes. Sure. We, our, our work is a gift. It's good. You know, we should get happiness from it. Yeah. But to get the happiness from right. it, then we got issues. And like so for it to become the primary identifier, right? Like that's exactly this right. This is who that's I, like, exactly. I am what I do. That's, that's the, that's where it gets off, right? Elias, and that's and and you and it happens before you know it. Like it's not like you wake up in the day going, "I'm going to make my job my life." You don't do that. It well, you happens. swim in it in the culture because what's the first thing you, when you meet somebody? What's the first thing you ask of the person? What, what do you do for work? What do you do? Right? It's like yeah. it's how we identify it in the West. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so I think the and and I do believe God gives us solutions. Uh, to so many of the of the social problems of the day. And he yeah. gives us a solution to this one. And to me, the solution is what I would call a Sabbath, uh, what mm-hmm. scripture calls Sabbath, yeah. a Sabbath rest. Now, it, it's important to clarify what Sabbath rest is. Sabbath rest is not going to a beach and chilling. Right. That could be a Sabbath you rest. You could do that on Sabbath, not, yeah. <laughs> you could do that. Sabbath rest is where you stop focusing on your work, and you realign yourself with yeah. God. Yeah. And so, and, and that itself is very intentional and it's arduous. It's not easy. Yeah. It's a Align, yeah not doing work. And I, I find it's important to have daily Sabbaths, weekly Sabbaths, and yearly Sabbaths. And you need to schedule them out. So, like a daily Sabbath could be a, a five minute prayer at noontime. Just, okay, I'm not going to think about my emails. I'm not going to have my phone near me. Uh, That's an experiment. Take your phone and put it in another room for a while. Like, see what what happens and and, and just focus on a scripture, meditate, do something that guides your heart back to to God. Try to just daily. Try to get yeah. that in weekly. You can have a day where you where you say, "Okay, I am not going to be focused on work. Uh, I am not going to anything that relates to my professional career. I'm not going to do." You know, and so you can. And Sabbath can be how you take it, how you how you you, you address it. I think uh, uh, one of your former guests, Marty Solomon, he does a great job describing a Sabbath rest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, and I would I would recommend his stuff uh, to if you want a, a deeper dive into that. But having having a time where you just kind of put work aside and you focus on God and and maybe the blessings that He's given you, the things that remind you of Him, yeah. and so weekly, and then yearly. I think uh, um, a Gordon Ferguson, one of the elders at a church I was a part of, he 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 told the staff. He says, you know, once a year you should have a, a three day period where you just read scripture. 
You just spend a, a few days just reading scripture and praying through it. And and I wish I had been wise enough to implement that into my life uh, when he had told me that uh, years ago. I think I'd be in better shape if he had, if I had. Um, but that's the type of thing. This just, I know once a year, do something yeah. that 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 grounds you back to God in, in a way. So. It's really good. I mean, I think about, you know, the whole, the creation story uh, of Genesis 1 and, and you know, it's, you, we were created, we were given a job, you said, right? But, but we were created on the sixth day in the narrative of the, of the, the poem that is Genesis 1, um, created on the sixth day. And then immediately the, the first day that we really experience is a day of rest. Seventh, the seventh day is a day of rest, right? So we're created to be in relationship with God and then immediately go into a day of rest and not a day of work, right? So there's an intentionality yeah. even to that narrative of of how we're designed as humans, that there is a real component for our uh, for rest in our lives. That's It's a necessity. My, my, my family and I, we've been practicing a Sabbath rest for about, probably about three years now. We've been, it's been an evolution. We, um, man, it's been life-giving just to take a, mm. a, a 24 hour period to pause, to break, to go, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to stop all work. We're going to enjoy the blessings of God and we're going to rest intentionally. And, and, uh, my kids love it. We love it. It's something we look forward to every week and it really has been life-giving. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Sajan, this has been uh, super helpful. I mean, just practical from the physical stuff, you know, don't eat so many Big Macs to the spiritual discipline side of things. And, um, you know, just really helpful stuff where I, I know you guys are, you have your, your clinical practice and, and, and several other things going on, but where can we find out more about your work and about um, things that you guys are working on there? Well, um, a couple of places. If you are interested in Crosspoint Clinical Services, uh, you can go to crosspointclinicalservices.org. And uh, we're right there. Um, you can see the things that we offer. One of the things that we do that I wish more would take advantage of, honestly, Elias, is we want to help the helpers. Um, we're a nonprofit. We're not, we're not out looking to make money. We're looking to incorporate good clinical skills with great theology yeah. and, and make it make, get true healing there. And one of the things we offer is um, for people who've been on staff, we, we offer, uh, uh, you know, supervision, we offer uh, counsel and, and a walking through some of this burnout. And it's not easy. It's not simple. And, and it's not quick. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the, the people who have who have gone through it and have done it, um, they're thriving in ministry right now. They're yeah. doing really well. And uh, and I feel like it's it's really important that the helpers know they have a place to get help. And so I'd recommend I'd encourage that um, we have a we have an app. It's called ICOC New England NE, um, and we have a mental health and God component. Uh, on that app. And cool. and if you want to see some of the videos that we put up, uh, they're located there as well. So please uh, join us if you can. Uh, it'd be great to have you. But Elias, I'm grateful for what you're doing here, just bringing us together like this. This is awesome. Thanks, man. Well, it's been, again, just a fantastic conversation. Really grateful to have you on the show today. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to, we'll have to do it again. <laughs> Absolutely.